0: Some years ago when I was working, uh, studying at university, I was also working another job and the job was at a sports store and uh, uh, typically what would happen is parents would come in to find a new pair of runners or sneakers for their kids and uh, you know in sports stores they have all the different shoes that are up on the, uh, the board and typically you come in and you look at them all and as you're looking at them all you're kind of overwhelmed by the variety. Usually what would happen though in that situation is that uh, you'd narrow it down to two or three and the the parent would ask me questions like, you know, what's the heel counter like? Or, you know, if I've got a, a child that has some pronation or supination issues, how do I uh, choose the right shoe for their, their correct fitting and, and their alignment? And he would give them some advice and inevitably it'd come down to two or three shoes and uh, they'd hold them up in front of me and they'd say, the parent would say, uh, what's the difference between this one and this one? And I'd say, well, about hundred dollars. <laughs> pretty much, they're they're the same, but uh, they are about hundred dollars um, difference in price. Um, but if you buy them, I can sort of be confident that they're pretty much um, you get in the same shoe. And, and then you'd ask the, the the child the same question. You'd say, uh, which one of these two do you like the most? And inevitably, they'd pick the one that was the more expensive one. And and when you pressed into it, you realised that dad had a a budget that he was kind of working towards at home, um, but the child didn't have any particular budget in mind. They just wanted the one that had something like this on the shoe, or a a brand like it. Um, In fact, what they wanted is, more than anything else, they wanted to get the shoe with the brand so that they could fit in with their tribe at school. I've been talking to some marketers this uh, last week, just small conversations, and they've talked to me about things like the value of a shoe or the personality of a brand. And so that when you hold that brand, it's supposed to relate to you sort of different ideas about what it is and what it might evoke in you as the buyer. That somehow those powers that that brand holds or the value that it has, that propositional value in the, in the marketplace actually might be something that you identify with. Now, I'm sure that you won't be able to run faster unless the psychology of that kind of rubs off, but there was this idea in this conversation that you had routinely with parents and children. Have, have you been there in that situation, parents here? Yeah? Um, maybe just one hand. Um, and, and you're there and you're nutting between these two choices and you go, I want to do the bargain one and they want to do the brand one. Why? Because brands speak. This last week I was having a conversation with Uh, A lady and she was kind of saying, look, I identify as being a Christian but we're talking about religious faith and all those kinds of things and she made this striking observation in her mind. She said, look, all the faiths are just pretty much saying the same thing, aren't they? I mean, same God, different countries, different ways of getting there and maybe some different rules along the way but they're all the same effectively. I wonder if you went throughout Melbourne and Australia and asked that question of a number of people, you'd probably get a very similar answer. It can get really confusing. There's all these different faiths out there and religious convictions. Aren't they all just pointing to the same thing? The challenge is when you press into Jesus though is that there's something unique about him that's different to others. In marketing terms, most people in Australia would have said that The brand Jesus has lost his distinction. There's no longer any differentiation between one shoe or the next. But when you press into Jesus, there's a whole lot of difference and differentiation. In in fact, what happens is if Jesus becomes just the same as anyone else and everything else, you turn up with a prayer like the one that we just watched a few moments ago. Everyone has their all different ideas of how to shape, if you like, Jesus. In their own image. He can be the baby one, the Leonard Skinner one, he can be the Ninja Turtle one, he can be whatever you make of him. In fact, if he stands for everything, he kind of can become everything as well. Does that make sense? So over the next five weeks, what I'd like to do, because that's such a dominant idea in the life of our culture and community, is to unpack five different distinctives about who Jesus might be that forms brand Jesus, if you like, to differentiate and make some distinction between all the other things that are out there on the shelves because there's some things that are unique about him. In fact, if you open up any of the books of the Gospels of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, and, and if you walked with people who were walking with Jesus those 2,000 years ago, you would strikingly find that people would flock to Jesus. yes. Uh, you would have seen him perform some incredible miracles. In fact, even historians who don't actually want to embrace or follow the idea of there being a God or miracles happening would attest to the fact that people who saw Jesus and walked with him agreed that he performed miraculous deeds. The second thing you'd find about Jesus, why people flocked to him, is that he was claiming of sorts that he was a king, uh, like a son of God, and and he talked about a new kingdom. And so people flocked to him, you can imagine, the anticipation around that time. But beyond the the miracle, and not to diminish them for a moment, or the claims that Jesus made, if you pressed into him, I think you'd discover that there's some profound things about his character, his nature, him, that would have differentiated him apart from the everyday, ordinary kind of person. And so if you're here this morning and you identify with following Jesus, then hopefully over the next five weeks, and I'd invite you to join with me. Uh, as we unpack some of these characteristics, that you might do like, a, if you like, your own inventory, um, that you might be able to, along the way, do an integrity check for you. Uh, is that who Jesus is and how do I relate to him? Um, am I reflecting that in my own life? Uh, perhaps if you're here this morning and, and God maybe seems like a distant proposition to you, <laughs> I'm glad you're here, but maybe over the next number of weeks you might be able to find some insights about Jesus that along the way might form for you a framework of should you come to actually personally want to place your trust in him. But where I want to start this morning is in, in the book of John and if you've got a, a, an app there that you would like to put on, a new version of the Bible, you can follow with us. It's a free download and you can just travel with us where you are. And I'd like to start from the book of John and this is what it writes in chapter one. John was an eyewitness to Jesus and followed him and this is what's recorded in the Bible. It says, In the beginning was the word... And the word was with God, and the word was God. Let's just hold there for a moment. If you were someone who'd read uh, even the beginning of the book of uh, the Bible, in the book of Genesis. Uh, you would discover that that first line would strike a note with you. In the beginning, it said, in the beginning, God. And, and John's taking pen to paper and he's saying, actually, having seen Jesus and known Jesus and walked with him and eyewitness account of him, I can tell you this, it's like Jesus had a new beginning. God was doing something in him and through him. So he writes at the beginning of his life story about Jesus and he says, in the beginning was The word, God spoke words and brought creation into existence. But I tell you this, this word was personal, was personified. This word is actually Jesus, the man I've seen. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of humankind. John would say, I saw this man, I watched him. I heard his words and I tell you this, he was like a beacon of light, a hope to the world. People flooded to this man. It goes on and he says this in verse 14, something, it gets a little bit weird here. I just want you to know it just gets a little bit weird from this point because he says about this man, Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God isn't someone who's distant, winds the world up and stands back. He actually became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what John writes. We have seen his glory. That is, we've seen the wonder of who, We've seen his power. We've seen and heard his words. They're glorious. The glory of the one and only son who came from the Father and he was full of grace and truth. Let's just hold it there for a moment. Park the car. Says of Jesus having seen him that he was full of, overflowing, brimming with these two ideas grace and truth. Now, grace isn't something that some people just do if they pray and thank God for their meal before they eat, nor is it just the name of some person that you might give. Uh, when someone's being named, uh, grace in, in the Bible is another concept, and I discovered it in the city of Melbourne a number of years ago. Some of you have heard me share this before. Uh, I was parked, I'd parked my car and gone out for a meeting, and you know the parking meter inspectors, they can be really quick in the city. Has anyone noticed that? Yeah, they can be really sharp. But, and I found myself just this one time running a little bit late. Uh, to get back to my car, placed my money in, went for a meeting and then found myself just a little bit delayed and I thought, I've got to get up to Collins Street really quickly. So I ran back up to Collins Street, pacing really hard up the, and, and when I got to my meter I thought, I'm probably just three or four minutes late, but those parking meter inspectors, they, they are fast, aren't they fast? And so I got there and I looked at the meter and sure enough it had expired and there was this word that was flashing at me from the meter, do you know what the word was? Grace, the word G-R-A-C-E was flashing at me. Grace, grace, grace. But You are kidding me. You you see, the the city of Melbourne have done this amazing, gracious thing and they have given about five or ten minutes extra time that goes beyond what you've paid for. I, I didn't deserve it. I paid my money, but they just freely gave it. How nice is that? Has anyone else discovered the grace meter? Was it just me? Maybe they pulled it because they weren't creating enough revenue or something like that along the way. But see, there was this amazing concept that there was this idea of I didn't deserve it but it was just given free of extension and that's what it says, if you like, just in a small portion of what John says about this person, Jesus, that he was full of. This gracious, kind, generous, giving beyond what you and I would anticipate we deserve but even more. Wow, and he was full of grace, but he was also full of truth, truth about who God is, truth about who he is, truth about who the world is, truth about what human beings are like, knowledge and truth embodied in one person, personified in the flesh. If you want to know what truth is, John would say he's a person and he dwelled and lived among us and he was real. Let's just unpack this idea a little bit further. And then it goes on and says this. Out of his fullness, that's Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace, goodness, favor, generosity, in place of the grace already given. Whoa, 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 what do you mean, grace already given? Well, he explains here, for the law was given through Moses. What was the law? Uh, One of my friends, a, a big Greek guy who played footy for Carlton, once said to me, Troy, I don't believe in any of that God stuff. He says, but... I do really like the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston in it. I love that. I said, Really? He said, Yeah. He said, I love the part where God speaks to Charlton Heston Allah Moses and says this Now Moses, thou shalt go. He did it, he just said just like now Moses, thou shalt go. He said, I said, Really? You like that? He goes, Yeah. It's so much more believable when it's on video. You see, there was that moment in the the nation, the history of Israel, where God actually said, you are my people and here are my laws to bring order out of chaos. If you want to differentiate yourself from the other tribes and nations of the world, this is how I want you to live. These are my rules, if you like. And if you live by them, you will live well. You will live in freedom. You will actually make relationships work better than anyone else. You will reflect my light and who I am to the world. Here's my laws. Summed up kind of like in the Ten Commands. You live by them and you will do well. This was a gracious gift from God. He says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is the closest to relationship with the Father has made him known. John would say, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. So let's just unpack this idea of grace and truth for a moment. Some of you, when you were growing up, you had—if you had two parents with you in the house—one of them you might assimilate more to be the gracious one, and the other one was more the truth one. Yeah, the the, the gracious one kind of went like this: "Oh, look, isn't it? Oh, look, they've messed up again, but I love you so much. You know, let's just make it all right. We'll give you the." In fact, one of you right now is probably thinking about who the grace one was in your family. Yeah. And then someone else though, you also bumped into the truth one, the, the, the law keeper, yeah? Uh, so there was the law keeper who went, you know what, you got a fail on your exam. Did you study for this exam? You didn't? Well, you go to your room right now and you study until you make it up. Well, the grace one said what? The grace one went, oh, look, you know, they've been trying really hard. No, they didn't, they didn't study. Yeah, but, you know, come on, don't be so hard on them. Yeah, come on, no, they do need to know what the truth about these things are. Yeah, makes sense? And so you would have bumped into, and hopefully families can have a balance between truth and grace, and they both operate together. Lo behold, the person who has a family who has two lawgivers, yeah? Or two grace givers that can work just in the opposite way. Let's extend this a little bit further to cars for a moment. Have you noticed how we arbitrarily like to choose which one we prefer according to which situation we're in? You're driving your car along to work in the morning time and somebody cuts you off. Hmm. Now, which one do we go to? Oh, it's the truth. They cut me off and you are mad because they did the wrong thing. Isn't that right? They did the wrong thing. You are angry going to work. They cut you off. But then just a few minutes later, you actually need to get in and you cut someone else off, and then what do you want? I'd like a little bit of grace, and so you wave the hand for the person who's, and you're saying to them out loud, just give me a little bit more grace, would you? A little bit more kindness, a little bit more goodness. And then someone else cuts you off, and you're like, man, that is so mean of them. yeah." Let's extend this a little bit further in our cars. You're in a car park, and your child opens the door and swings the car door wide, yeah? And it hits the car next door that's parked. You open up and you look at that car, and you notice as you observe it that there is a mark on that car and there's some paint that's been chipped. Yeah? No one's been there before, just me. And you open the door and you test it. Like, is that from my door? Is that, yeah, it lines up perfectly. And then you have this conversation in your head that goes something like this. You know what? if that was me and it happened to me, I probably would just let it fly because you know these things happen in car parks all the time and our cars are imperfect. They get chips on them all the time. In fact, the person who owns this car probably earns a great deal of money more than me and and they probably can afford this. In fact, their brother-in-law's probably a spray painter (laughs) And, and it's an easy, quick job on the weekend and so you apply grace to yourself lavishly, don't you? But then if someone else does the same to you, man, you are the lawgiver, aren't you? Who is it? Did anyone see something? Did you get, did you see that dent on the, yeah, did you? Who was it? What, what was their number plate? You're looking for the tag on the, aren't you? All the time. This happened to me perfectly. I'd got our car last year all polished and shiny. First week, took the Toyota down to the netball and then one of the persons said, I noticed you've got a new car. Well, it wasn't new, but it's a shiny car, newest one I'd had. And uh, they said, shame about the mark on it, though, the big dint. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were just joking. <laughs> I walked up, where is that dint? There's no dint on that car. It's perfect yesterday when I drove it off the big dint, this big, pressed in. And I'm like, and then someone goes, you know, these things happen. No, they don't. It happened to me. That cost, uh, That's going to cost me a lot of money. Did anyone see anything? I want cameras up down here now. I want to interrogate everyone. Did you see someone bump into this black car? Grace? and truth. Haven't you noticed how we arbitrarily apply these two things in our lives all the time? If you're a parent here this morning, you're going, you know what? How do I apply grace, but how do I apply truth in equal measure in some way that I can navigate being a parent? How can I do that in my workplace? How can I do it in my relationships? Because that's really hard. And there's something we discover about Jesus that it says that he was filled with overflowing, brimming with in equal measure, grace and truth which means that he could actually not just go to one pole or the other. He could hold them the two in tension and if you like, he was elastic because he could stretch to both without just shifting to one to suit himself. Let's have a see how this worked itself out in a very provocative, here it comes, a very provocative and challenging situation. You ready for it? Jesus was found in the temple as he often would early in the morning teaching. There was a group of men who carried, dragged a woman to him and this is how the conversation went. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? The irony of this situation is there's no man present. I always thought it takes two to tango. But there's just a woman, not a man. And these men are coming to try and trap Jesus and trick him because what they want him to do is to make a judgement, a judgement that would cause them to say we can actually throw stones and do what the law says, the right thing. This is the truth, this is how we're going to apply it. And if he undermines it in any way, this is an accusation against him to being a lawbreaker himself. And so this poor frightened woman is dragged to him and these men want to apply the law. They want to be right. They want to say this is what it is. And they were using this to question, to trap him in a way so they could accuse him. So Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them this simple question. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. This is where it comes from. Be the first one to throw a stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. We don't know what Jesus is writing. He might be writing sins, wrongs failures on the ground that relate to the men who were there. We don't know if he's just ignoring them and doodling in the ground as to say, I don't even want to have anything to do with you, what you're asking me. But he asks this profound question, let any one of you without sin be the first to throw a stone. He's asking those ones who love the law and love being right and love being rigid about those things to apply it to themselves. And when they do, when they apply that honestly to their own lives, they find they come up short. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, the older, wiser ones first, who could see what Jesus was saying. Dropping their stones, you could hear the stones thudding to the ground until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she replied then neither do I condemn you. Go and live your life of sin. Grace and truth. Now, this is a fuzzy part of Jesus that I kind of find really difficult at times because I go, how did you know how to apply that? And when are the rules? And, And when can you do this accurately? This is one situation, but surely there's a whole bunch of other situations out there as well. I mean, you can't just let something slide. The people who, who, who were condemning her wanted to have a judgment. He said, I'm not going to enter into that. You are guilty just the same. Jesus is applying grace here, and, and he's being gracious and he's overlooking. But then he, he doesn't overlook it because at the same time, he says to her, and, and he names it, he so said, This is wrong too. I want to be truthful as well. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Jesus seems to be elastic. Now, I'd love it in the Bible if there was a point that said every single time, now, what do I do exactly in this situation? This is where Jesus doesn't answer all of our questions and it gets frustrating. How do I apply it in my work situation? How do I apply this wherever I am in my relationships? Grace and truth. But I know this. The moment someone's looking for grace, it's usually an admittance that, there's some truth that needs to be revealed in their own lives. The way to get to grace is actually by saying to God, would you please help me? I know that I haven't done the right thing. I want to know more about you. And then grace comes rushing. The moment someone humbly says, I don't have it all together. I'm not the perfect one. I need your help and humbles himself. Grace comes rushing. There are some people here today who who are so gracious to other people that you feel like a doormat. (laughs) And you're wondering, how gracious do I need to be? Well, there's truth. And and sometime along the way, what you need to do is is run uh, and embrace a sense of truth and go to someone and say graciously, can we put some boundaries? Can we actually speak honestly and openly here in grace and truth? And Jesus, if you like, is elastic. He can cut through in profound and powerful ways. When I was finishing up university, the very last activity we did as students was to do a tug of war. It was a four way tug of war. There was a ring, there was four ropes. And and, and the person said, what I want you to do is equal teams on either end. And he he put a circle in the middle and a flag in in the middle of the, the four way intersection and he said, the challenge is to pull the flag over to your quadrant. And if you do that, you win. Well, it started and we went for minutes. As we were pulling this way, what you could do is when one team was winning, the other three could slide over and gang up. So they could pull this way and when it was coming towards that way, everyone would slide back out again and pull back towards them and slide the other way, if you like. It was kind of this elastic thing happening. And, and when someone was getting close to that side, they needed to balance out the other side uh, so that they didn't lose. And that's exactly the same way as it says that Jesus operated, his distinctive, if you like. Is that when someone is so rigid on being right, you know, you can lose a relationship over being right? And has anyone ever won the argument but lost the relationship? Because you've been so bent on being the one who was right, you've forgotten grace along the way here. And you need to apply both in your relationships with people. At the same way when someone is so gracious and they say, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't care, we'll just let it go. No, because that person might keep on going and going and going and hurting other people. There's a time in which grace, you need to say, we need to talk about truth at the same time and usually we need to balance the two together. Cindy's going to come up in a moment and play a song. And I wanted to hear this morning... If you're here and you've never heard this kind of elastic thing of Jesus before, that he is someone who balances his graciousness with truth together. I wonder if you're here this morning and there's a sense in which you go, that hurts, Troy, when you talk about that. It just reminds me of a failure and I kind of feel a bit ashamed about that. See, this is what the powerful, powerfulness of Jesus' distinctive is, is that when someone comes to him and they say, I haven't worked it all out, I've failed, I've sinned too, I've done wrong, what happens along the way is that you find that grace comes rushing when there's an open door and a humble heart. In fact, Jesus shifts according to usually the softness or the hardness of our hearts. Maybe you here today and you say, "I want to know truth. I want to know a bit more accuracy about who I am and who God is. And I want you to hear His gracious gift. He said He sent Jesus to dwell among us, not to be distant, to be close, to bear our hurts and pains. He can carry them. His grace. I want to hear this morning. if you need to discover afresh, there's a God is gracious and truthful and he's for you.